Welcome to Concussion Stories, a Life Yana podcast series filled with hope. I'm here to let you know that you are not alone in your concussion recovery. I'm Melanie, and I spent more than six years experimenting, training, and learning in order to heal myself from a very bad case of post-concussion syndrome. And today, I feel better than ever before. In Concussion Stories, we dig deep while discussing hopeful stories of recovery, as well as the hard stuff in the messy middle. If you're struggling to focus, be sure to take a break. Down in the description of each episode, you can find a table of contents in case you want to skip ahead. Let's dive right in. Dr. Ramon Diaz Aristia is Director of Traumatic Brain Injury Clinical Research at the University of Pennsylvania. He is involved in TRAC TBI, one of the three largest ongoing studies worldwide on traumatic brain injury. And he is Executive Committee Member of NTBIR, a worldwide coalition of scientists who are working hard on TBI research. TBI, by the way, means traumatic brain injury. I really wanted to host him on concussion stories because he is as outspoken as one can be about how current TBI diagnosis needs to change. By constructively criticizing the current system, he gives recognition to everyone feeling lost after their concussion, post-concussion syndrome, or mild traumatic brain injury diagnoses. So let's not wait any longer and hear what Dr. Diaz Aristia has to tell you. Outside of work, what do you like to do and who do you like to spend your time with? This is my favorite question to start with for our listeners to get to know you a bit. You know, I don't have that much time outside of work, but, but the time that I do, I, I like to spend with my family. I have uh, my wife and four children, and I have recently picked up a hobby of woodworking, which is something that I've liked to do all my life, but uh, now I have some space to set up a woodworking shop and, and buy some tools and equipment, so, so that's kind of the new hobby that I've picked up over the last four to five years. And you know, making different things, sort of small pieces of furniture, um, you know, little useful items for the house and things like hmm. that. Is woodworking similar to your job or just completely different and that's why you like it? Well, it, you know, it's actually somewhat similar um, to what I used to do. I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a scientist as well as a neurologist and back many years ago when I was a student or when I was a assistant professor starting up my laboratory, I, I, would, I would do a lot of work in the laboratory, right? And this is using sophisticated equipment and, and uh, running assays and doing experiments. And I like doing things with my hands. And really for the past many years, right, I had to give that up. And my work has really been uh, exclusive in the office, right? Writing papers, writing grants, uh, mentoring junior people, etc. So I do, I do miss uh, doing things with my hands, and I think that's kind of what the the woodworking hobby uh, has replaced. Ah, thank you for sharing. That's that's a really interesting thing to know. It's it's uh, something really different than the, the the standard topics we talk about, of course, on this podcast. And um, as someone who's immersed in traumatic brain injury, not only now, but you have been for many years, not only in research, but also in practice, could you maybe give us a bird's eye view for our perspective of how we should view concussions 
and post-concussion syndrome, knowing what we know now. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is something that has really evolved a great deal during my career. Um, I mean, when I trained in neurology, when I was a resident, the usual teaching was that concussion was a purely physiologic process, right? This was a, a, a result of uh, changes in neurotransmitter concentrations and ionic gradients across neurons, and there was a transient effect, and that everybody recovered from it, right? And, and it was never associated with any uh, brain injury per se, meaning any permanent change in brain structure. And, uh, and, and the usual teaching was that, yes, people who, who, are, who have a concussion uh, sometimes will have uh, mild symptoms that may persist for a few days or maybe a week or so. But if it goes beyond that, then it's psychological, right? Then they are malingering or they have a conversion disorder or... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a problem for a psychiatrist, not, not a problem for a neurologist. And, and, and that actually was a standard teaching for many, many years. Uh, we're talking up until about the, the mid-1980s to really 1990s or so. And, you know, obviously when I trained, that's when you are taught by learned old men and you believe them, right? And then when I went out and, and starting uh, setting up my practice and, and my... My clinical specialty is in epilepsy. So I became interested in the process by which a previously normal neural circuit becomes epileptic, becomes uh, able to, to sustain epileptic seizures. And I realized fairly early on in my career that studying epilepsy after brain trauma uh, would, would be actually a very tractable area of research. Um, we knew quite a bit of a brain trauma. We knew uh, the certainly frequency of how epilepsy happened after brain trauma, but we didn't know a lot of the details from the point of view of neurobiology, from the point of view of imaging, from the point of view of biomarkers, et cetera. So that's what I decided to, to set my career on. And obviously most people who develop seizures after brain trauma do so after a, a more severe brain injury. On the other hand, uh, you know, I would get patients with quote-unquote concussions, uh, mild brain injuries would come to see me in the office. And what I very soon realized is that these people were not malingering. They were not having conversion disorders, and they were not, it was not a primarily psychological problem. Uh, they were complaining of exactly the same things that my other patients who had had more severe brain injuries and had recovered to a similar degree were complaining about. They were complaining of, of the headaches. They were complaining of the fatigue. They were complaining of the problems with memory. They were complaining of depression, anxiety, irritability. Uh, they were complaining of uh, sleep disorders. Exactly the same pattern, right? So, so you know, that that, that really always convinced me that this traditional teaching that um, you know, if if the post-concussion sy syndrome lasted more than a few days to a few weeks, it was a psychological problem. It clearly is not a psychological problem. Um, it, it's an organic brain disorder. And I think over the years, um, you know, I think this has been confirmed. In fact, now we know that a, a clinically 
evident concussion quote, or, or mild traumatic brain injury resulting in uh, either transient loss of consciousness or transient post-traumatic amnesia that inevitably every single one of those cases is associated with organic brain injury that can be detected uh, with sophisticated uh, neurobiological tools such as biomarker tests in the blood or uh, sophisticated magnetic resonance imaging. In fact, what we're discovering is that even subconcussive impacts, right, impacts to the head uh, that do not result in the clinical syndrome of concussion, right, such as can occur during athletic events, occur very commonly during athletic events, that, that even those subconcussive impacts are associated with a very, very small but detectable leakage of brain proteins into the blood or changes on on magnetic resonance imaging etc which, which frankly should not be a surprise right we know from other areas of medicine that there is such a thing as subconcussive myocardial ischemia and sub or, or subclinical myocardial ischemia and and subclinical stroke and subclinical multiple sclerosis so it shouldn't at all be a surprise that there is such a thing as as subclinical traumatic brain injury that that's usually a very little consequence except as is the case in athletes of, of particular sports that these subclinical traumatic brain injuries occur you know dozens hundreds and even thousands of times you know over over their career so they do they do add up and that can be a problem so so that's it that's really an important realization that it's surprising that it takes so long for us to realize it but it but it's clearly the case so, so my, my view is that actually, um, you know, I do not like to use the term concussion because it is so misunderstood. Uh, it, it's deeply ingrained in the language, so it's going to be hard to totally get rid of it. But, but, but it's really a very misunderstood term, and it misleads everybody, right? You tell someone they had a concussion, the normal expectation is that, well, I'm going to get better, you know, in, in a few days or at most a couple of weeks. And, and, and luckily that's true for most people but uh, you know somewhere around 15 to 20 percent of people who experience a concussion syndrome do not recover within a few days to a few weeks in fact may take them months or years in some cases they never and then the other problem is that well you know historically we have called these things mild traumatic brain injuries which which implies that well it may be a brain injury but it's not going to have great consequence right and, and that's frankly not true in in a in a significant i mean not again not the majority but in a significant number of people uh brain injuries have major consequences in terms of the ability of people to return to work return to school return to work in some capacity yeah you know manage their affairs deal with their family responsibilities so there's nothing mild about that. No, no. And in fact, I think you wrote uh, along with your co colleagues that this is misleading um, of, with regard to the uncertainty that, uh, of, of outcome uh, that um, patients face, but also their family members, but also the message they have to communicate to their teachers, to their colleagues, their bosses. Um, it's, it's a misleading concept in in itself because of where we are coming from, right? Right. So, so what we wrote in that paper 
which uh, uh, Dr. Oli Tanuvu from University of Turku in Finland was, was also my other main co-author. What we wrote in that paper was, was really the argument that we should get rid of the terms mild, moderate, and severe because they really misleading. They mislead their patients. They mislead the general public. They, frankly, they mislead other medical professionals. And, and you know, I think a more accurate way, which is not perfect either, would be, you know, low risk, medium risk, and high risk. And, and, and I think that is actually reasonable because, I mean, there, there is a difference, right, between an, an impact to the head, to the head and to the brain that results in, uh, you know, brief unconsciousness or brief amnesia without prolonged coma, you know, the likelihood of those folks, and, 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 and that's, that's by far the majority of people sustained impacts to the head, right? So people who come to the emergency room for after a, an automobile accident, bicycle accident, uh, fall, whatever, you know, 90% are going to be classified in that category. And the, the, the good news is that the majority of them do pretty well. Um, you know, probably at least 80%, which is good. On the other hand, 20% of a very, very large number is still a very large number. But, but they, they, you know, overall, they are relatively low risk, relatively low, if you call 20% low. On the other hand, people who sustain a more severe brain injury, meaning that they are, had a period of unconsciousness that may have lasted for several hours in the period of post-traumatic amnesia that may have lasted, you know, several days. Well, their chance of making a, a recovery is, is not as good, right? Their chance of making a recovery, meaning that they are back to work or back at school in their same capacity as before, is, is probably only about 50%, right? So, so much lower than 80%, right? So we thought that it would be reasonable to call those people medium risk. Uh, traumatic brain injury, and then of course we have more severe injuries. Right, these are people who are uh, comatose, who require inten uh, uh, intensive care management uh, to 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 allow them to survive. Who may require neurosurgical procedures, etc. Uh, you know, the the chance of those individuals making a complete recovery is is only about twenty percent. Which, by the way, 20% is actually pretty good, given how sick these people are. We, we thought it made sense to call them high-risk traumatic brain injuries. So the, the nosology of low-risk, medium-risk, and high-risk, I think, is a little better than the nosology of mild, moderate, or severe. Hmm. Thank you for explaining that. And personally, um, in my experience, having been through a mild traumatic brain injury myself uh, and making a full recovery, six and a half years after injury um, um i feel that the most value this um uh, new framing of brain injury brings would have brought me is the fact that um you already highlight at the beginning that recovery can take long if you have a traumatic brain injury it can also take short but there's not a normal, there's not a standard. There's an average maybe, there's a, a mean, but um, it's, it's variable and it's, exactly. And it's depending on so many factors. Um, last week I spoke um, with a professor from Oslo University and she 
um, is involved in Center TVI, and she has um, researched, for example, the effect of um, male versus female effects on outcome of multi brain injury. And the differences are significant. And that is just one of the things that predicts outcomes. You already mentioned biomarkers. We know that DNA has um, markers, for example, but also um, if people are athletes, right? There are so many factors, so many complexities. And had I known this at the beginning, I wouldn't have felt so um, like I was doing something wrong, not recovering, because that was the, the feeling for the first two years. I was just completely lost about what was happening with me because the framework just wasn't right. That's the whole, well, the framework wasn't right. And I wasn't looking for other, other answers because if the doctors tell you something, generally you accept, but yeah. No, I think you you raise a very good point. Um, you know, unfortunately we do not have therapies for traumatic brain injury, certainly not for low risk traumatic brain injury. Uh, we're working very hard to try and develop those therapies, but it's, it's a tough, tough issue, has been a tough issue. There are very exciting studies in animals that, um, you know, several treatments, drug treatments or other non-pharmacological treatments can improve outcome, but it's really not been possible so far to uh, extend those results from animals into human. On the other hand, it, and, you know, accurate diagnosis and count, accurate counseling itself is very therapeutic, right? And there have been studies done on, on along those lines, right? And, you know, so, so if you tell people, you know, if you tell people you've had a brain injury uh, and, you know, it's a low-risk brain injury, chances are this that you will, uh, you know, recover, but it may take you a while. Uh, you know, you should adjust your lifestyle for the next several weeks or even next several months to see how you're doing, which, and, and, and frankly, that is a counseling that is often skipped when folks are sent home from the emergency department, right? They're often told, there's nothing wrong with you, go home, right? And, and people believe that and, and they try to resume a normal life, which means that if they had an important exam the following week, they go in and try to take the exam and they may well fail it, right? Because, uh, you know, they, they, they were, they had a bond, they had a brain injury or, you know, they try to go back to work and they had an important business meeting or an important work assignment that they just aren't able to do. And, and they keep trying and they end up losing their job. So that that's actually very common. So, so accurate counseling and, and uh, accurate prognosis uh, itself therapeutic and obviously eventually we want to develop therapies but but until we get there i think being accurate in, in the language we use and the counseling that we provide can go along yeah absolutely i agree and one of the things that also stands out to me is um the thing i was diagnosed was with not only traumatic brain injury but my concussion was mild so i had a mild concussion so it's like they would say mild, mild traumatic brain injury. And only uh, just this weekend, I was scrolling social media. I was seeing uh, a person that I know who was now diagnosed also still with mild concussion. And the only thing I can think is how can your concussion be mild? It's a brain injury. It's never mild. And 
this is a thing that continues to, um, uh, even though the field is changing and especially research is changing for which I'm so grateful, but in practice, I still see so many people being diagnosed with these labels that I feel are outdated and also are being given the advice uh, that is outdated, for example, more passive approach to recovery rather than an active approach uh, to recovery. Do you recognize this as well, or is this different for you? Well, no, I think I think this is again something that there has been a lot of a lot of uh, advances on, right? Uh, you know, it used to be it used to be said, right, that if someone had had a a concussion mild brain injury, low risk, low risk brain injury, let's try and use, use what I think are better terms, you know, that, that what they should do is, is to go cocoon themselves, right? Go, go into a dark room and not do anything, uh, you know, not read, not watch television, not, 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 not go on your, on your phone or anything like that. And, and it turns out that that's exactly the wrong advice, right? People should be advised to, you know, do whatever they can, right? If, if they have a very severe headache, et cetera, well, maybe maybe they should go to bed. But if, if they don't, then they should try and do whatever they can. Uh, and, and frankly, that's the case in all other areas of medicine as well. Right? It used to be it used to be that when someone had a, had a myocardial infarction, the, the traditional treatment after a heart attack was to, to put someone in bed for two or three weeks, right? And we now know... That's exactly the wrong thing to do, right? That is, has a myocardial infarction. But you know, once the once the ischemic event is over, uh, you know, getting him into a rehabilitation program as soon as possible is is, is should and you know, same is true for other areas of medicine. So, so I think I think I think fortunately that practice is has largely gone away although not not completely i do think we need to do a better job in, in um, you know educating other other medical professionals and our colleagues in other areas of medicine about the management things which are really very 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 common now i would love to hear from you what do you take away from this episode is there something that you can apply to your life right away head on over to lifeyana.com and leave your comment now and if you want to hear and read more concussion stories actionable steps and inspiration be sure to subscribe to the lifeyana email list while you're there so that you never miss out on new materials we constantly make for you if you want to support this podcast head on over to patreon.com concussion stories thank you for listening to this concussion stories episode by lifeyana may you be well and may you be happy